hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Great pleasure to welcome Steve Hatch, uh, VP for Northern Europe for Facebook, no less, to the show this morning. Morning, Steve. Good morning, Mark. Great to be here. Great great to have you on. And uh, just to give you a bit of a, an intro, for everybody. I'm sure you're very well known, but nonetheless, uh, Steve's had an incredible career. Uh, He grew up as a planner across a number of agencies, including DDB, PhD, YNR, moved into a managing director role at MediaEdge before becoming CEO at MEC. And that was the first time our paths crossed, Steve. It was a a pitch unsuccessful for MEC at that point in time. But we should go into that. (laughs) Yeah, WPP (laughs) retained the business through media. So we'll we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, Then, of course, uh, I think back in about 2014, Steve moved to be director for UK and Ireland initially, but is now currently VP for Northern Europe, as I said. So massive job, uh, clearly very much in the limelight. And Steve has said he's, he's very happy to take whatever questions anybody's got. You know, Facebook are never far from uh, the, you know, the, the, the spotlight. Um, but despite this, Steve's a very humble guy, very understated guy, and that will come across. Um, so we're going to get an inside track into a glittering career uh, in agency land and Facebook specifically, but also the, the person behind the name, what makes Steve's tick, Steve tick, uh, which includes the fact that Steve is dyslexic and has no qualms in talking about that. And I've heard Steve talk about that very eloquently. Uh, both in terms of the, the good and the bad that that brings. So sit back and relax, but not too much, because we want your questions as ever. And Steve, absolutely fabulous to have you on the show. Thank you, Mark. And the greatest, great to meet you as well, Richie. You too as well. Uh, over to you, Richie, to get us started. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Mark. And, and good morning, Steve. Steve, look, it's an absolute privilege to have you on with us this morning. And really looking to looking forward to this conversation and and diving into some of these these key key great topics. But look, let's let's start easy on you. Um, now, clearly, there's been lots of change over the last year. So, I'd just love to hear from your perspective. How's that been? Um, both work and and life, as they call it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a year like well, more than a year now, like no other for all of us. And um, you know, certainly thinking about 2021, it's felt quite like a continuation of 2020 and almost feels like we're in like month 18 of you know, clearly what has been such a transformative moment for the world, for companies and for people. Um, you find me today, and I'll just be very open about this, but you find me safe and actually really pretty happy because I'm going to see my parents for the first time in quite a while and they're going to see their grandkids for the first time since August. So even just saying that I'm feeling very you know, very emotional about that. Uh, that said, I mean, specifically, the if we think about the 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 last really eighteen months from a from a business perspective, in particular, what we've seen is this extraordinary kind of great pull forward. That the trends that were emerging prior to the pandemic have been incredibly accelerated and. In many ways, when I'm talking to companies and organizations, uh, the ones that are thriving right now, the ones that took their 10-year view on the world 
and, and have pulled it forward to make it the reality now. And we see that coming through in, in data. So Benedict Evans, who is you know, certainly one of the people that I follow quite a lot on trends, you know, his perspective, and I, I'll, this is UK data, but I think we're seeing this around the world where we've seen essentially 15 years of e-commerce channel shift occur in nine months. So if you strip out grocery, we are seeing the UK, it's now 40% of total commerce is now e-commerce. And that's extraordinary. So the big question I think we're all asking ourselves is what's next? You know, what's next for us as companies? What's next for us as a society? What's next for us as people? And that's for whether you're a business large or small or, or a person. So personally right now, feeling quite buoyant because I'm looking forward to the weekend and really thinking, what does this great pull forward really mean? And potentially on top of that, what does the prospect of a great unlock look like? And what does that mean for us in, uh, in businesses and helping businesses to, to support and grow? And of course, many people have, you know, are finding deep challenges at an economic level. But on, on the other hand as well, we're seeing the highest level of saving rates in uh, around the world in global history right now so with over i believe it's on the, something along the lines of over 2.7 uh billion sorry trillion dollars are now resting in savings and the desire the pent-up desire for people to um, re-emerge back into the world in a different form is clearly there from uh, for, for businesses to take up but it does come with new responsibilities i would say and i think those those areas over the past year where sustainability, the social awakening that we've seen, and particularly the global reckoning since the death of George, George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter protests and the social responsibilities that company has. So I, I, I feel my nature is to be naturally optimistic. And I do feel we're going to be entering in a, 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 a potentially more positively disruptive period over the next 18 months because of the response to the pandemic that we've had and this experience that we've all been through. Um, I guess sort of finally, I didn't expect my daughter's art desk, which is what I'm using here uh, to be my permanent home when I sat down here on March 20th last year, but uh, you know, I've, I've got used to that. Yeah, lovely. I, I, I love that thought of Unlock and specifically the conversations around diversity, inclusion, climate, mm. equality and inclusion, you know, have had some oxygen. So there, so there are some silver linings, but it's also been tough. So I, I want to just dig a little bit deeper in terms of what are some of the things that you feel you've missed and what have been some of your silver linings for you, for you personally, Steve? Yeah, I mean, at a personal level, that it's, it's such an obvious thing to say, but just missing that contact with friends and family. You know, it, ha it is uh, the, the, the kind of freedom that, you had to just be together or casually not have to plan too much and the amount of kind of planning and rigor that's been I've really really missed that I've missed being face to face with colleagues I think I, I'm sure I can't be alone in going through phases where this experience has felt like a novelty and quite enjoyable at some periods and actually it's sometimes really really hard you know particularly uh yeah I've got two children I'm, I'm I feel lucky that they are teenagers so they've been able to to some extent look after themselves more I I honestly do not know how anyone with young children has been able to really do any type of work in this I'm deeply respectful and, and impressed by anybody that's that's had to manage homeschooling uh, on top of work that was there 
so the the, the I, all of those things are kind of pretty obvious in terms of the things I'm, I'm I'm missing. I think the other thing is that in terms of the silver linings is although we've been physically distant, I don't think I've ever felt closer or more open with people. Certainly when that comes to my team, and I've mentioned the word optimism, you know, already in this, and it is my natural nature to be. I guess sort of tiggerish, but the, the I, what I discovered about myself and in, in leadership in this period is that whilst that is an advantage, often I found what the limits of optimism are. If that optimism is preventing me really demonstrating when I'm finding things hard myself, um, we had a fire here during this uh, uh, in my house during the period, a small one, not too dangerous, but the anxiety it was in my daughter's bedroom and the anxiety that that triggered became really hard for us to manage as a family. And what I found is the more I was able to share with my team, the things that I'm finding hard, the easier it was and the closer we are. So I think there's a real lesson in leadership that yes, you need to be able to look ahead and look forward and be able to drive and motivate and inspire people. But you have to do that through the through the authenticity of your real lived experience. Wow, you know, Steve, that that's really struck with me, um, and I love the phrase that you just coined in the limits of optimism. Um, and I think quite often, you know, we look at leaders as the ultimate sort of rah rah people and constantly needing to, you know, push forward and 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 not be, you know, not kind of almost hide and and, and kind of um, cuddle the team um, to not see some of those realities. And I love the way that you've sort of debusted and debunked that quite a lot, which is which is really nice. Um, I want to go back to the point around unlocking. I think that was really interesting. But rather than taking it from your perspective, I want you to maybe put your yourself into the shoes of your teenage kids. Um, and clearly you've come from a vantage point of Facebook and, you know, the dominance that the tech industry has kind of now prevailed over young people and young people's lives and perspectives. And then clearly now coming in with a pandemic on the other side. I would just love to get your perspective on whether you feel optimistic or pessimistic for what the role um, of society is for young people in the years to come, given those various. The, yeah, the role of young people and technology, I suppose, you know, the two of them are very closely, closely related. And, and whether you are feeling particularly optimistic or pessimistic for right. your young, for, for your teenage kids who are about to kind of immerse themselves into into this world, almost already, but yeah. themselves more into this world. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and I I want to caveat this up front by saying I'm not the person I think to decide whether we think we've reached a point of you know, equality or evenness or kind of openness. You know, that should be decided not by me as a you know frankly these days a middle class, but probably not always. Uh, but I certainly have always been a white man in in in, in a society for whom the the systems of this country benefit um so uh, i think there is a i, I have to I, I caveat my my response with i can only give it from that perspective and the people that should decide whether we've reached a good point aren't me you know they should be those people that have been more marginalized less heard um less understood and less represented having said all of that i i actually feel um i do feel credibly optimistic for the for the future and that 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 we're seeing young people create i think there is a the sense of connection some of it i have to say you know created by technology their perspective on the world is so much wider than i ever had their lived experience is so much greater and has more breadth than it, than than it ever had i don't think this comes without 
uh, challenges, but they're quite different challenges to the one I felt that I grew up in. And their sense of connection, their sense of wanting to do the, the, the right thing, the sense of campaigning spirit. And, you know, we see on, on Facebook and, uh, and, and Instagram, the percentage of young people who feel that they are heard through those channels that they have access to, that they're able to create campaigns around the things that are most important to them. And that can be a huge range of topics, whether that's from um, period poverty, uh, which I've met with a number of people that are extremely focused on that, through to, uh, through to of course, uh, the, the rise of Black Lives Matter. Um, and I took pl- part in a socially distanced uh, um, demonstration in Brighton, which is near where I live, uh, in the middle of the, uh, um, the, the surge of the Black Lives Matter. It was incredibly powerful, you know, to be there, to see across that seafront two miles of socially distant people stood in silence and in solidarity. And of course, they were all, rage, all, all, all ages there. But, you know, that was an event that was organized through a Facebook, yeah, through a Facebook group and Facebook events. And the application of that technology to drive social change and social good and social justice, I feel very, very positive about. I'm very proud of the role that we have. And I, I don't want to be naive about it, but I do feel optimistic of the, the future that young people can have. And they're different because of the difference they can make, because they have voice in a way that I don't think would have been true uh, a few sh- even a few short years ago. Yeah, that's no, very true. My, my kids are 15 and 19 and all, all the norms are completely different. We'll, we'll probably come back to that. But I do want to go all the way back just really to understand how the hell you got into the advertising industry and what was your, your big break? <laughs> Uh, oh, thank you. That it, it, it sort of feels so long ago. I'm also well aware that in the opening, I was, this said it was going to be brilliant, and he's very humble. So that gives me like a, a, a gives me a really narrow spot to work within, Mark. But I do I do my best. Um, yeah, I'm, Mark mentioned um, very at the very beginning of this that I'm I'm dyslexic, and I just want to be really clear: I am proudly dyslexic. I think it brings enormous benefits and and, and skills and advantages and. I'm happy to share with anybody the um, part of the um, EY report onto the value of dyslexia in the workplace. And I've been sharing that widely. So happy to do that um, um, after this as well, perhaps kind of share the link. But my, I, I found school hard, uh, frankly, but I didn't face up to it. I want to be clear as well. I was offered support, but I just didn't take it up. And I think that was probably an embarrassment or a sense of kind of social stigma or not wanting to, wishing to, you know, I could have identified as having what I, then perceived as a disadvantage and so I used to tell this story that I was uh um that I was I, that I applied to get jobs in advertising and I was offered a job and then I left college to take it up it's not quite true I was told that if I skipped one more lesson then I'll be thrown out um so I so I left and I uh, I went to a careers office and said I want to be an, an actor in journalism or in advertising and I really really did want to do advertising out of all of those because I saw it as this thrilling blend of art and commerce and kind of try and reconcile these kind of two interests um, that I had. And two weeks later, I got a call to go and be a trainee account direct, account manager. Can you believe me an account manager? But, you know, but I, at a local agency and I, and I got that job and the biggest difference that was made to me then is I had an extraordinary female mentor, uh, a woman called Kathy Jones, who uh, uh, was the head of media in that agency. And there are, I mean, even these days, there are, I think everybody knows there are agencies 
outside of the center cities that are extremely good, you know, um, not certainly not a, a, a second class, like incredibly powerful, strong agencies in, in cities all over the UK and, and other countries as well. But at that time, they were often staffed by people who moved from London to have a like make a lifestyle change. And I was really great to I got to work with her. And she said, look, if you're going to do this job properly, you need to go to London. And uh, fortunately, I did. I worked it. And then I went and became a media planner at Initiative, then went to work at BMP, which is a, what is now Adam and Eve DDB, a full service creative agency. And I feel very, very lucky in, in, for two bits of accidental timing that I had. You know, one, I'm, I'm young enough to have grown up with computers, but old enough also to, 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 to be able to understand the kind of full world of full service advertising. Now, and there aren't. I know that that's not a not a usual position to have, but I learned so much there. So that and those were the that was the big break. It was it was fortune. It was um, but led by. I think I was lucky that I had a lot of energy and, and a lot of drive, and I, I wanted to succeed. I couldn't quite find my voice, and I was I felt very lucky that a number of people in my career have, have said, "Okay, well, let's." take a risk. And I think that speaks a lot to what the School of Marketing is trying to do in terms of like really helping to open up the opportunities that are there and, and really to understand that you know, these risks aren't risks. You know, if you're betting on a ambitious, hungry, smart person, like please have a broad perspective about what they might look like and who they might be. Um, yeah, more to go into on that, but uh, that was, that was the, that was a break point. You know, um, Steve, first of all, thank you. You know, you're, you're absolutely bang on, you know, with, with the risks that we all take in life in order to kind of see our journeys through in whatever guise is. What, what really struck with me is that piece of advice that Kathy gave you, and it's, and it's certainly something that I've kind of held close to my heart when she said, you know, you've got to, to go to London. The, the power of London for me for many, many years um, has been something that's been really strongly resonant. Um, and, and I've stuck around in this, this great old city um, living in cupboards and shoeboxes um, on the basis that I believe in the power of London and what it can bring. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, that, that that's something that um, sort of stayed with me as well. I, I know that shoebox moment. I, I lodged in a room where I was in a sofa bed that was just narrowly wide, just wider than the room. So yeah, I, I know that moment. Well, so Steve, I want to I pick up on the, the, the thought around mentoring and mentorship. Now, clearly that's had a massive role in your life. Um, and I mean, Facebook being probably one of the most coveted places in, in the world to work. Um, love to get a bit of an inside scoop into how you guys see the role of mentoring, the, the culture that you're trying to engender within the organization. Um, and then that, of course, you know, the impact that you believe that then has on people that come that are currently working and then come through your space. Yeah, absolutely. And in Facebook, I mean, one the the attractions to me when I originally joined seven years ago was, uh, and it's it, it's even more now, was the the diversity of people that I would be working with, like the sheer breadth that's there. And now, as a company, we've got very ambitious targets. So globally, we've set a goal for at least fifty percent of our uh, of our growing very rapidly growing I, I would say as well kind of you know workforce to come from under underrepresented groups and there's kind of like broad definitions around what that looks like so we're very clear on the targets and that makes sense you know when you're building products for the world you want to have the broadest possible number of people that you can have that can 
create better products. So there's, and there's lots of work on design for inclusion and those those types of things that uh, that that we're working on. And the, the 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 kindred philosophy that sits within Facebook at a, at a people level is one of playing to strengths. You know, you are encouraged to to do the things that you love to do and the unique attributes that you have. And you know, one of the things, and I, I one of the things that I didn't understand about Facebook before I went there was you you can be one of two things at Facebook. You can be a an IC or you can be a manager. And an IC is, is an individual contributor. And this was a revelation to me, frankly, coming from the world of advertising. And 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 the other underpinning part of that philosophy is management is not a promotion. So the, 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 the managing of people or the running of teams is seeing as an individual skill, not necessarily a hierarchical one. Uh, and, and being an IC, like the ability to contribute as an individual, as a person, um, is equally valued as much as the, as the attribute of being able to lead teams. And that comes through in kind of you know, levels and conversation, all of those kind of like cis critical systems that kind of um, um, the under structures rather I should say that underpin all of all of those and that makes so much sense you know when you've got I, I used to use the example of a guy called Lars who worked at Facebook uh, um, yeah he yeah he and his he and his brother they created amazing products like Google Ads in their garage now so do you want that but it turns out he's an amazing manager as well so he's a bad example but you know but do you want that person managing people you want to have someone with those skills who really wants to go and build build products do you want them to spend their time managing people, maybe, but you really want them to be able to thrive and succeed through the things that they do brilliantly. This was quite a revelation, revelation to me in what had previously been something I hadn't been able to crack, which is how do you reward and propel people through the organization without necessarily having that associated with the number of people that are reporting to them. And that creates an environment of, uh, of, of, in a way, kind of a battle of ideas, of intellectual inclusion, and of course, kind of mentorship that goes uh, that goes with that. I currently mentor uh, two people from underrepresented uh, groups because there are definitely specific challenges that people, particularly in the in the people of Black heritage, face in succeeding in in well, this country, and I, kind of, I think it's kind of pretty sure to say that's kind of true of countries around the world as well. So the role that I think where I see the role of, 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 a, of a mentor, which is placing a specific focus where you think you can make the biggest difference. That's how I think about my role as a mentor. Uh, and equally, where I think I'm going to get great learning as well. And that's the, that's the, the in a way, the, like the exchange that's changed over the past couple of decades, which is it's an incredible time to come in as a young person into industries like marketing or technology and advertising, because you have a depth of understanding that probably the people that are running your organization might not have because of the, well, the generation they've grown. So that mutual benefit of mentor and mentee, I think is even greater today than it's ever been. So just to flip that one round, uh, you've mentored and inspired others. Uh, how do you stay fresh, stay grounded? Where do you get your personal mentorship and inspiration in the other direction? Yeah, I'm, um, I, I think maybe it's because I don't have a degree. So I've still got this uh, chip on my shoulder about not having that. So I, I, but, and what that's meant is I've got this um, constant desire to keep, to keep learning, you know, I, and constant desire to 
to to continue. I, I I didn't get the set period in life where you do that, so I feel that's kind of continued. And that you know, for me, I have uh, I have two mentors that uh, are actually completely outside of the industry that I that I go to and that I seek their advice and guidance and 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 wisdom. And and what I've tried to do more, Mark, actually, is to also make sure that I'm immersing myself in different uh, different media different recommendations as I'm trying to broaden my knowledge of what the, the you know what the lived experience of people is in, in my team and you know I've, I've mentioned one that I said before particularly those people of black heritage where uh, that's the awakening I feel I've gone through over the last 12 months is just really to understand more and that you know one of the mentee mentor relationships I have I, I genuinely believe it's a re- it is a reverse process or certainly a process of equals learning from each other uh, and the other the other sources I have people that I don't know do you have these as well people that like they don't know you that you're that you're their me- that they're your mentor but you think they are so you know whether I can you know I, I'm kind of inspired or kind of listen to others yeah j- just on that one um I think I might have mentioned it many shows ago actually this is our 40th show Steve so great oh, congratulations <laughs> fantastic um but yeah the, the m word is sometimes quite loaded so I, I like to there's a little line I use, which is, you know, you did, I saw you did a great presentation. Um, I'd love to learn about how you prepared for it. Can I buy your coffee or can I have a 15 minute Zoom? And at no point have I mentioned the M word. But what I'm doing mm. is asking somebody about that, something that they're good about, that it's effortless to them and will speak happily. And it's no big deal. Um, but but it is mentoring because in the end, mentoring is is, is only advice but anyway I had to I well I got I, I can say sorry just to build on that one I, you know I got I got very lucky early on in in, in my time at WPP that um uh, of working and having Jeremy Balmore as someone that I could go and talk to and speak to with a degree of frequency you know I, you know, we I co-wrote a book with a guy called Jim Taylor on connections planning and brand planning and that came from exactly that mark of just actually going I'm blown away by this person's mind and their grace and their intellect just from reading their material so to be able to say could we get a moment and I'm curious for you Mark but I've never had anybody say no to uh, that request but no 100 100% strike rate um because it, it's it's uh you know if people are being flattered and being asked to talk about something which is their specialist subject it, it may take you know so for example somebody very junior in our team really wanted to speak to Karen Blackett Karen said yes I don't know when but yes and it was three months but it happened yeah uh, and right. so I think it's uh yeah I'm 100% strike rate so um right. yeah I, I guess fun thing I'll say is to anyone if you haven't listened to Jeremy Bullmore's they're now I, I suppose I can't talk about alternative podcasts but you know uh, uh his 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 talks and uh like are are available as podcasts they are extraordinary they really are beautiful to and they are better to listen to because his voice is quite something too by the way by the way gents i'm i'm going to completely put you on the spot and given that you've you've talked about people not saying no um clearly you guys have a responsibility to not say no either hint hint to the audience (laughs) um just so just kind of moving on on that Uh, by the way i love i I just love the thought and the, the, the fact that you actually didn't decide to go down a normal career path just the normal kind of milk round degree kind of route but still we're able to achieve some amazing lofty heights in where you are today, Steve, if I may say so. Um, and I think that really is coming as an inspiration where a lot of young people today are really, 
um, sort of deliberating about where they see the role of formal education at that stage in their lives. I think that's you know, a big question mark there, particularly given the sacrifices of experience that the, tr the traditional experience of university no longer exists. And a lot of them are experiencing it on Zoom, which is, which is quite tragic mm. to be honest with you. I'm now mm. speaking to a young person last week and they literally had to make virtual friends on Zoom in the hope that some point in the future they could have a coffee with them. It just feels like the, you know, the whole- Crazily tough, isn't it? Crazily tough. Really, really, really is challenging. But I, I do admire the fact that, you know, if people are going through that right now, um, there is an alternative. There are other ways out there. And clearly, you can see, you know, someone come out the other side and just being being super inspirational. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stop at that, you know, kind of humbling you there. I actually want to come on to a slightly more controversial question. Um, so you have obviously seen the social dilemma on Netflix. Um, I would like to ask, do you see it as a social dilemma? Uh I, I have seen it and I, I, I probably won't do my full review and unpicking at, 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 um, at this point. Um, but you know, what I would say is that the, the topic of technology and society is uh, you know, one as old as society and technology, but two, actually a really, really important one to have and a really important debate to discuss. I think that certainly the, 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 the limits are often the pieces that make the headlines, you know, and I think there is a big responsibility that all companies have, technology companies in particular, to make sure that, you know, their services are being used positively, that where there are aspects of harmful content that they're taken down and removed. And just to paint a, to, you know, to give that some, you know, some background and some backbone, if I look at what Facebook's done, and it's, you know, reflective of what we also see in the broader industry of work as well, if you'd have gone back a few short years ago, the way the content was moderated on Facebook would have been almost 100% community moderation. So that would have been people flagging to Facebook that, you know, we don't, you know, we don't think this should be on the platform. Now, what I would say is there are very strict rules in our policies about what you can and can't do and say. Now, people often don't hear that, you know, they, they don't realize that the, the freedom of speech is not speech without limits. You know, there are very strict limits that are there. If you, in fact, in the week that we're, that we're recording this, we've just released our most recent community standards enforcement report, which is a quarterly report on how well we are doing at removing harmful content. And to be really clear, we don't want it there. So some of the accusations of does hate speech or harmful content outrage, does that not embolden in, in the business model and strengthen it? It just could not be further from the truth. You know, we don't want it. People don't want it. We know it has a bad experience. Advertisers sure as heck don't want it there. And they want to have the proof points that it's, that, uh, that it's being removed. Now, if I just look at an area of hate speech, for example, which has been most prominent uh, in the last couple of years, if you uh, sorry, the last year in particular, if you'd have gone back, two years ago, the percentage of hate speech that we're taking down proactively. So what are we detecting and removing rather than what's been reporting was in the low 20s. I believe it was about 24%. Now, in the latest iteration of that, that's in excess of 97% proactive takedown. So that's how much are we getting to and removing at the that that's one important metric. The other important metric is how common it is. Like how reflective of people's experience is content like that. And in the case of hate speech, 
I believe the number is now 005 to 0.06%. And that's down from the last quarter where it was more 0.07 to 0.08. I do just want to caveat, I'm doing those from memory. So if those are out, I, I, I apologize now and, and, and I'll make sure I correct them. But, the, but they're more or less in the right ballpark. So most people's experience most of the time of using technology and to be really candid, particularly over the last year, where the importance of how we connect as people through technology has, has been the only way that we can do it. And, you know, when I, if we, if, so do I think it's a dilemma? No, I don't, because, you know, what I see, which is less reported, is the 2 million people that joined a COVID resilient, one of the 2000 COVID resilience groups here in the UK within two weeks of lockdown, like helping to support each other. You know, I see small businesses of which there are 2 million using the services in the, in the UK grow and prosper and thrive and quite frankly, survive the pandemic because they're able to make that pivot into. Uh, and then the other aspect I see is just this kind of crazy forced innovation that we've just been, been through uh, where watching a, you know, seeing a minister conduct their service on Facebook live and, and reaching out. And I'm really curious as to, you know, what, how many of those things are going to stay and stick over time and the positive dimensions there. Now, I really get that those positives don't remove the responsibility and the obligation that we've got to make sure we're reducing as best as possible the negative. And we've been putting our money where our mouth is. 35,000 people work on safety and integrity across our platforms now, and we invest more every, we invest more every year now it's just in this area than the entirety of the company's revenues a year that we IPO'd. So I, I, I you know, far from a dilemma, I see it as, you know, perhaps the words I started with, that tremendous opportunity still to build community and to do good, but also a tremendous responsibility to ensure that that's done in a safe, fair, uh, safe, fair way. Last thing I'll finish on, those are my numbers. Those are Facebook numbers. We just announced yesterday that Ernest and Young are going to audit those numbers so that it's not just us telling us. And also, the regulation that I think we're going to experience over the next couple of years is a really positive thing to be welcome because it helps build trust and rules and an understanding that uh, I, I believe is really important to the, to the continued success and thriving of the digital economy and, and digital experience that people are having. So, Steve, there was... I could go on, you can tell, but I'm, I'll try and stop there. You wouldn't have noticed, but there was just a couple of moments during that, uh, what you shared with us there, where the sun just came out and he, well, he talks about millions of people joining a movement. So I don't know. Everyone can make of that what, what they will. Maybe the sunshine's on the right. <laughs> let's, just, let's just go a tiny bit deeper. I, what strikes me is that Facebook is at the confluence of so many things. Um, liberation, uh, social justice, democracy, echo chambers, hate speech, political elections. Strikes me you can never get it right. And you'll take a lot of flack and a lot of heat and have to be very careful about what you say at times. So um, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Because for me, that sounds like, you know, that could lead to sleepless nights, stress, anxiety. Um, you know, so how do, how do you make sense of that jumble? Yeah, I mean, as I said, the, the responsibilities feel pretty big and whether you're, uh, but the difference, I think, in my perspective, yeah, than, than, than probably most people on it, I think maybe there are some Facebookers on this, uh, on, on this as well or, or listening to this, is I get to see the company from the inside and the degree of, 
expertise and focus and diligence is there. It's absolutely inspiring, Mark. I mean, that's what you want to feel that when you are looking at these complex challenges, you know, are we doing the right thing? Have we got the right people in the right roles? And are we putting the right amount of effort? And by effort, what I mean is resource, like people and money behind soul winning things when they are, as you say, quite complex often. And having said that, I think when I say complex, most people will just go and solve it. You know, just go and get these things solved. And I think finding that that balance between giving people voice, like enabling people to express themselves in a way that they've never been able to before, connecting communities in a way that they've never been able to before, but doing that in a safe way. It is a big responsibility, Mark, but it's a massive privilege as well. Um, but I could point to incredible experts, whether that's in uh, whether that's in financial, every single spectrum that you could think of from financials forward to election integrity, to civil rights, uh, to, uh, from some of the most prestigious organizations in the world that are joining Facebook for that exact role of how do we fulfill that mission? So it is a responsibility. Do I have, uh, I think more than, any, more than anything, I have a deep sense of pride of how the company uh, um, is operating and stepping up to those responsibilities. Steve, I want to I want to turn the conversation a little bit um, again back to sort of your your leadership uh, on a more personal level. I mean, some of the, the some of the greatest leaders in the world have um, had things like dyslexia. You know, Richard Branson is is a classic. Mm. Um, I would love to to get your thoughts on one how you see and the perception of that uh, you know of that condition. And two, how do you think you turn it into a superpower for you, then springboard you um, into your career and, and make it work for you? Yeah, I mean, there's been uh, there's been hiccups on the way, Richie, and and, and um, I, for me, it's about it goes to this this philosophical point that I said at the beginning, which is uh, of the Facebook culture play to strengths. You know, being finding peace with those things that I am not good at. And knowing that and having a degree of self-knowledge and yeah, having team and people around me, you know, whether I'm serving them or they're working with me, you know, that's what I'm looking to complement. But just specifically on dyslexia, there, there are so many things to suggest that dyslexic skills and capabilities are going to be more valuable in the future than, they, uh, uh, um, than many other attributes that people have. So if we're moving from a society where retention of information is less important than interpretation of information and being able to see the bigger picture to be able to creatively cut through and draw connections. Machines are going to be doing a lot of the stuff that we don't like doing as people. Uh, well, I say whether we like doing it or not, maybe sometimes we don't have a choice, but you know, machines are really good at simple computation and that's it. People are incredible at joining up, creating connections, having insight and building new ideas and if you look at the skills employers are looking are, are seeking and you map them to dyslexic traits there's there's a there's an incredibly strong correlation there so but the I think you kind of wider question away is about vulnerability and experiences and how you take those experiences and certainly being dyslexic has been you know, a, a very strong part of my um you know, my desire to, to to help kind of other but also um you know and i've talked publicly about this as well you know one of the probably most defining moments of my life is the experience of uh, i took a break between my time at bmp and then joining phd i was going to go traveling for a year and six weeks into that it didn't go as planned and i i experienced an episode of mania 
which probably uh, when I was in it took about a year to recover from fully. And yeah, and in many ways, the most challenging part of that wasn't the experience itself, although it was quite frightening in times, probably more frightening for my friends and family than the way it was for me. But it was the social stigma that was associated with mental health issues that I found the toughest. Um, and again, probably goes back to why I'm a bit more optimistic about the future than I, I think if I'd, if I'd have experienced that now and was coming back into the workplace, say compared to as I was nearly 20 years ago, God, it might even be more. Oh God, I'm old. Um, the, you know, that, I, yeah, at that point I felt I couldn't talk about that or I couldn't do and. And I, and I really regret not being able to do that then, but I don't regret the experience itself because it certainly, I think, made me not just a better person, but I truly believe a better leader. You know, it made me a better listener. It made me, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm white middle-class male. You know, I don't know what it's like to be the other in a minority society, but that gave me some insight um, uh, into, what that, into what that might be like. But it also made me realize that if you're able to embrace the kind of fullness of the experience or work in an environment where the fullness of your life can be, uh, can be expressed. Oh my God, it's great to see and share and doing just the energetic connection that can come from that. So I think the, the, the broader, whether it's dyslexia or, or a kind of other forms of kind of life experience where you feel you've had knocks and you, you've come back from them or you've, you've learned from them. If you could, adopting a learning mentality, as I, as I think, and I mean, hindsight is probably what I did, you know, has been the thing that's got me through those, through those. And, uh, you know, I hope to be kind of good advocate for everyone that's kind of feeling that. Uh, thank you, Steve, for speaking so candidly. Um, yeah, I think actually that's another silver lining of this pandemic is that the mental health conversation has been emancipated. So I, I do appreciate that. So we, this last question, my, my goodness, that's come around quickly. Um, you know, you're, you've, you've achieved a lot, but I suspect you're not done. So what, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh my God, I really wish I, 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 I really struggle with this word, this word, uh, with this word. Um, I struggle with the legacy because I just really don't think I've done and I've got so much to do at the moment if I'm, if I'm really honest, but I would, I don't have a grandiose sense of a legacy, but I really would, if I felt that I, I gave more than I was given would be, and if I could say that with truth and honesty, and I, I say, I think I, I, if I haven't said it before, like, I do feel incredibly lucky with some of the experiences I have had and some of the fortune and support that I've had. And if I'm able to give, you know, a 10th of a 10th of what I've had back, um, that would be, that would be great. But I kind of hope that, I, when I, I don't want to leave Facebook, so I don't really want to talk about it that way. But what I do hope is that, you know, I've worked with people that feel that when they've come into contact with me, that they've been elevated and that they felt better and they felt more inspired. And certainly that's been the journey for me over the last, this 20 year part of my career, rather than the first part, which is moving from, you mentioned at the start, Mark, you know, I started as a planner and a planner is an amazing job, right? It is the most privileged job in the world. You get to come on and do your, they're like a set piece player in a football, you know, in an American football game, you get to come on, kick the ball, take the applause, walk off, you know, leading people is, it's totally different to that, you know, and it's this move from like, look what I did, clever me, to look what they did clever me you know and and if i can embolden more people to have more successful and fulfilled careers and lives then um 
this is the first time I've ever answered the question, so, so I appreciate it's not as crisp as I'd like it to be, but that would that would feel really good. Well, do you know, um, sometimes, you know, the, the unplanned is the best, and to, to have a legacy where you gave more than you got, or gave more, give more than you're given, it's a pretty good answer, in fairness. So, so thank you. Um, and just on that note, actually, there's a message here for Keith in the chat. I hid my dyslexia for over 40 years until a note popped up on LinkedIn from you. Wow. I can't thank you enough for indirect, indirectly being a brilliant mentor. Very proud, proud to be dyslexic. So, Steve, we are, we are out of time. Um, it's been a treasure to have you on for our 40th episode. Uh, I'm just going to do a few reflections and, and uh, then hand to Richie for final close. So you talked about a moment of pulling forward uh, and unlock. I think that's a, that's a big thought and it's applied across many things in our, in our worlds. You mentioned the word tiggerish a couple of times. That certainly certainly came through. Uh, we need to know the limits of our optimism. We need to be optimistic, but know the limits. Um, I think uh, we all owe Kathy Jones uh, a favour or a glass of wine or something. Um, need to take a risk on people, but it's not really a risk. Uh, and Kathy's message about encouraging people to fly the nest when they need to, to soar. Play to strengths, key message of Facebook. I think also true to yourself personally as well. Um, we, we talked a lot about inclusion, directly and indirectly, and I can see that that passion point really comes through. Um, we all need to listen to Jeremy Bullmore's podcast, maybe? I'm not sure. Not sure about that one. Um, Interesting. You talked about uh, responsibility a lot as well, but also, also pride uh, and being clear on what you're good and not good at. And you talk with great pride around your dyslexia, and I 100% agree with the value that it brings to our society and our work. Uh, my sense is that you... Uh, really enjoy what you do it hasn't been straight line you've talked about mental health challenges you've talked about dyslexia you've talked about being haunted by not having a degree um but i think it's been really a thrill to hear your thoughts and insights understand a bit about the person behind the vp of facebook in northern europe and uh i think that's a cracking answer actually my final point would be you uh to you want to give more than you were given that's a lovely thought so i'm going to hand to richie before i do just to say next friday We've got Sir Steve Redgrave, our most um, five times Olympic gold Amazing. winner. Uh, incredible. Probably our most heroic. This is for the UK anyway. Most heroic Olympic athlete. Um, but, but thank you, Steve. And I'll hand over Richie for a final close. Thanks. Thanks there, Mark. Steve, you know, it's been a tremendous conversation from my point of view. I've, I've learned a huge amount. I really do urge you to actually get out and speak more, particularly to young people, because I think the story around you know, what you went through in your younger years and how you were able to elevate the, to, the, to where, you've, where you're at is just, you know, incredible and would really touch a lot of people at this moment in time. And, and I think that that would be, you know, any ways in which we can help, that would be fantastic. So maybe that's a plug as much for us as it is for you. But I just really think that it's, you know, it's really important and, and your story is really inspiring. Um, a couple of key things just for me. Um, I love when you, when you started and talked about the fact that savings were at the highest rate as ever before. And it's so easy for all of us to go into doom and gloom right now. Um, but actually key nuggets of that just kind of made me go, ah, wait a minute. You know, there are, there are certain upsides to, to where or how we can kind of look at things half, half uh, full rather than half empty. And I like that, that anecdote there. Uh, your, your thought around limit, the, the limits of optimism in relation to the ability to always be on the rah-rah mode versus the authentic self and actually getting that balance right as a leader. Super. You, you mentioned this term, which stayed with me, was young people create the future. Particularly when I asked you the question around, do you feel positive or negative or optimistic or negative about the future? Um, and you said young people create the future. And I love that because actually it's in our hands um, as opposed to kind of being something that's being done to us. 
And I think that's a real takeaway there for me to kind of think how we can actually, you know, grab it with both hands. Um, the the role of mentor, mentor, mentee mentorship, clearly your personal offering of to never say no when people ask for that, that broad coffee. Clearly, I won't hold you to it, but maybe others will. So, you know, high standards to live up to there and, and, and Mark as well. I'm not letting you off the hook there, Mark. Um, and the, the, the final thing I'll just close on was the sort of learning mentality to never stop learning. And although, interestingly, you started out your career as perhaps not having that formalized degree learning, actually what you've taken away is the way to actually succeed is to constantly throughout that career is to really have that, that learning feel and environment to constantly be doing and upskilling your own skills so then you can help others. Steve, it's just been an absolute pleasure, really. And I could have gone on and uh, on. Uh, Ricky, Mark, thank you so much. It's been a real, a real privilege. Um, I feel very humbled to be part of this. I didn't realize it was your 40th and congratulations on that as well. And uh, I, I'll, I'll certainly be keeping on my listening at, at, on the podcast. And I just wish the, the show and the kind of School of Marketing huge continued success. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Just before we close up, everyone, just for, for a last keynote, uh, this is next week is one of those weeks where we've actually got a double whammy. Um, and what, I, what do I mean by that is that we've got an extraordinary guest coming on on the Thursday evening at 6 p.m. So clearly it's a bit of a deviation from our normal time, but please do be with us. This is a really cool one that, that's to come. We've got, I've got the real pleasure of announcing that we've got Seth Gordon coming on the show, a real legend guru in the marketing space, clearly one of the most renowned and definitely needs no introduction by any of us. Um, but he's going to come on to share some of his key highlights, his career journey. And what I love about Seth is as, as we were ushering him to try and convince him to come on, he said, look, I'm just an ordinary guy that's done some really extraordinary things. And that really sums Seth up in so many ways. And he really wants to bring that to life that all of us have the power to do tremendous things. So please do join us next Thursday, 6 p.m. GMT, UK time. So wherever you are in the world, um, adjust your clocks to that moment. Um, it'll be an evening worth spent. So thank you very much and see you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Steve. Good weekend, Zoe.